the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 447. Our guest today is Young Lee, the CEO at Serato. Thanks for joining us, Young. Oh, thanks for having me. Look, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. Your uh, Serato is a as a company that's been incredibly successful, a local company, uh, you know, here in New Zealand or Auckland, where we where we uh, where we record the show. Um, but it's the first time that we've um, you know we've had somebody from Serato uh, come and join the show. So I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, we I'm should do excited. it a lot more. <laughs> actually, it's, it's quite yeah. an exciting place to be. Actually, I think I think um, traditionally because our customers and our partners are overseas we haven't really looked at internal New Zealand media but I think as we grow we'd like to start telling our story so hopefully I'll get invited back yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm certainly uh, already hopeful that we can we can have you on the New Zealand Business Podcast. We've told stories of you know a lot of uh, New Zealand you know firms that have done you know well locally, and 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 you know the the likes of uh, Zero Pushpay and others that have done very well on the global stage as well. So uh, you know, I think the the Serato story needs to be uh, needs to be in there uh, too. Yeah, and we'd, and we'd love to tell it. So, so uh, yeah, we'll certainly uh, look look forward to that now. Um, I guess maybe maybe you can just give listeners a very sort of short summary, and we'll come back and talk about Serato um, after we've chatted through sort of the news of the week. But yep. um, for those who don't know, who who yeah. is Serato? Oh well, Serato was um, invented twenty years ago by the founders, kind of Steve and AJ. Um, and the the story goes, uh, Steve wanted to learn how to play the bass, uh, and he wanted to play it to songs he knew, but he wanted it to be slow so he could learn. So he invented this algorithm that let you speed up and slow down sound without it going squeaky or really deep. Um, They basically turned that into uh, the most successful industry standard uh, audio plugin for movies. Um, They took the money from that and went into DJing. Um, And now we're the most used DJ software in the world, globally by the numbers. That's not me kind of talking it up. Um, And we've just cycled right back to go back into music production. Um, So... World number one in um, DJ software. We're about 140 Kiwis based in New Zealand. Um, we're used in every country in the world. So there's a lot of things to be proud of. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I first came across uh, Serato, actually not in New Zealand. I was uh, I was in the US involved in uh, a startup project I was doing then, worlddj.com, which was a sort of a pre-Facebook sort of niche social network. And um, I was in Miami, which was kind of the the the, the party capital once a, once a year for the electronic music scene. And uh, uh, these Kiwi guys from Serato turned up at uh, you know with a, a stand at, at one of the right. events, and uh, uh, that was where where I, where I first come came across Serato. And it was yeah, I guess still fairly early in terms of any sort of involvement with. Uh, um, with the with the DJ world, but uh, they were getting started, and um, you know, since then, obviously yeah, things just, have, have just gone from off. strength to strength. So yeah, yeah we, it's great. We have a joke at work, uh, which is when you say you're Serato, people work, think you work for a cafe. You know, it's, <laughs> whereas because in New Zealand we don't have much of a DJ culture, but yeah. in places like New York or LA, saying you're part of Serato is almost like royalty. You know, yeah. open doors and it's a brand, and they because they never see Serato people as well, so you're quite a rarity. Yeah, so it's yeah. um it's definitely uh. A great thing to travel with and represent. Mm, mm. 
Oh, that's yep. uh, that's very cool. Well, uh, let's let's chat through some of some of the news. Um, cool. One of the interesting uh, headlines that uh, that caught my attention was um, Waymo is hiring uh, former uh, in- engineers from um, Anki uh, to lead their efforts into uh, into trucking. And of course, you know Waymo uh, was was um, you know part of uh, part of part of Google. Now they're, they're Waymo branded with the autonomous uh, vehicles, and you know they've really led the way in, in that whole world of uh, of autonomous uh, vehicles. And, and you know, in many ways, they were really the um, you know the, the company that, that I guess brought autonomous uh, vehicle technology uh, in, into the mainstream. And of course, having the Google brand associated uh, with them was was helpful. But also, uh, you know, they had vehicles on the you know on the streets and in varying parts of the US. For uh, for some time, and and I've seen them. Um, Anki is a brand that there are probably not so many not so many of us have heard of, although we've talked about them on the show uh, a number of times because they've they've sent us some of their uh, their gadgets. Um, but the company folded, so I've I've yet to actually try and fire up uh, some of their tech. They had a really cool. Uh, I don't know if when you you were growing up young, you you came across the slot car set. If that was one of right. the yeah. one of the things, well, they came up with a slot car set. But it was sort of um, there's no slot, so you've got a, a, a vehicle that sits on the on this track, and it uses um, sort of optical recognition to work out, you know, what it's doing, and cool. you control it with your smartphone over either Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi, uh, and they're a whole whole lot whole lot of fun. Um, I don't know whether that works now that the probably the cloud piece that was you know that it was tying into doesn't doesn't exist. So I don't know whether the app was ever designed to work standalone without the company. It probably wasn't top of their mind to make this thing work after uh, after they died. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, um, it seems as though um, the you know, co-founder and, um, and and CEO of uh, Anki um, is now going to uh, to to lead this um, autonomous uh, trucking uh, development at uh, at at Waymo, and um, you know. Um, quite likely bringing some uh, some other people across. So, obviously, some very very smart people there. Uh, it seemed like um, Anki just just ran out of money, and you know th- that's often the case within um, the world of startups. It can be very close as to whether you you get that next sort of funding round or not. And sometimes, uh, you know, getting funding for a, for a startup can take months and months. And you're trying to work out, you know, how do we how do we get through, uh, you know, this particular window of time? Do we you know do we shut down the uh, the the business? I remember hearing. Um, uh, Chris Heslip uh, sharing the push pay story on the New Zealand Business Podcast, and you know he he was you know talking through where where they were, and and you know in fact they they turned down some funding because they thought it would you know potentially be even worse for you know for them in terms of how how good a fit the uh, partner was, but uh, then they then they were kind of stuck, not sure if they were going to be able to uh, you know keep people employed, and yeah. I guess uh, Anki is one of those ones that just didn't make it through. Yeah, and when I hear 
stories from a lot of founders from successful companies. So many of them have the twists and turns of, oh, we didn't quite make it, but then we did, and then we didn't quite make it. And I think some of it's the um, Silicon Valley kind of startup mentality. I, I was there at the beginning of the year listening to some people talk, and it feels like they only teach one model there, which is load yourself up with venture capital, yeah. and then you must go for global domination. Nothing else works. Yes, yeah. And that's cool if you make global domination, but it's probably a very, very risky thing on the way through. So I'd, I'd, I'd say, yeah, that it's probably nothing to do with whether Anki were great or not. It could well have just been about funding. And it's probably a good move from what, from what I can tell. Um, there's a race for automated cars between you know Tesla and Waymo, and so probably both companies are going for global domination and trying to get whatever they can to get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I mean, and it's great to see, uh, you know, see a lot of competition going on in that space. And in fact, over the last um, last week or two, there's been a bunch of headlines about companies partnering up um, on, you know, on that autonomous driving um, front. And and you can see how that makes sense as well. You know, the players like Ford and so on, they've been working away in the background, but it was only you know two or three years ago. You know, I'd be at, you know Ford. Ford flew me over to Silicon Valley on one event and the other events I went to with them or, you know, got invited to when I was in other countries. And, um, you know, for a long time, there was just silence from them around autonomous vehicles. Now they've been in, in that field for um, you know, at least to a degree and, and had, you know, some testing out in the, in the real world for, you know, for a couple of years. <laughs> I remember one, um, one, one, one experiment they did of putting a, a vehicle on the street to see how other drivers would respond to seeing an autonomous uh, vehicle on the street. And they didn't actually have an autonomous vehicle to test this with. So they tried to create what looked like an empty driver's seat, but the driver was basically packaged up to look like the car seat. All right. Um, and how did so, that go? So, um, so that was their way of experimenting. And uh, I can't remember what the results of it were. I just remember seeing a picture of this this person sort of, you know, wrapped to look as though they were a, uh, a, a car seat. And um, yeah, that was uh, that, that was their testing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, very very, very interesting. And um, yeah, as you say, I mean, Anki may or may not have have been something that would survive. Their sort of slot car set type thing was was a whole lot of fun. Um, their little uh, their little robots. I always felt like they could go a little a little bit further than what they did but they, you know these things take time and and money right so right. Uh, um i'm sure that those two things were probably the the constraints yeah and, and i'm further. not familiar with them but um you know one thing i do know is uh automated cars will change the world and so we're all i mean i'm watching the technology ever so often yeah who will win when will it come through how much change will do no one knows but I think there's if there's one thing I can bet on is changes coming. What yeah, what yeah. it will be, time will tell. And and we just seem to be seeing a lot more um, movement down the the track of of trucks, you know, right. um, and and autonomy. Yeah. Uh, at CES this year, I you know when there there was one that was was there, um, sort of semi outside the show. Went and you know had a chat to them, and you know typical scenario. Yes, there's somebody sort of sitting in the truck, but but right now where the technology is from a driverless perspective, it's actually very very good when it comes to 
a driverless vehicle on a on a highway, on a freeway, right. motorways we have in and New Zealand. And it makes a lot of economic sense, right? If you replace mm. truck drivers, then these companies can have 24 by 7 trucks going all the time. You know, the morality of it is, isn't up to me, <laughs> but I think that's what they're aiming for. I kind of feel like autonomous vehicles will be quite far away until suddenly they're everywhere because the economics of it would suddenly mean that uh, it makes sense for companies to roll out these autonomous vehicles Mm. almost overnight. Mm. I Mm. suspect that's what I'm expecting now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something I'm curious as to how how quick we will see things uh, change over when the the technology is kind of there. I guess we'll see degrees of it being there. Right. Um, because it probably, you know, the the pushback I get when I talk to people about autonomous vehicles is, well, yeah, we can, you know, the the motorway stuff that seems to be reasonably easy and doable, but it's the it's those last bits that that can that can become uh, well that are, are are a challenge right. to yeah. uh, to get around. So yeah, that's yep. uh, I mean we, we, we'll obviously keep uh, keep following that one. Um, and a story out of Australia, Victoria um, banning the headline was Victoria bans phones in all um, state schools. Now, when I delved into this a little bit further, that that was um, yeah, maybe may a, a little bit um, over the top in terms of the headline. So this is coming from uh, 2020, and um, uh, yeah, it's it's talking about in classroom use of phones, so that uh, you know kids will need right. to. You know, lock their phones up in a locker, or you know, some something like that. Um, this uh, it's kind of interesting. I actually did an interview for um, for Seven Sharp TVNZ yesterday at uh, at Motat. We were sort of talking about you know getting phones and technology into into youngsters' hands, uh, and we we ended up um, talking talking a bit around the. Uh, the smartwatches that are available now for uh, for the youngsters and Spark has a couple of these um, um, smartwatches that are, are really you know tuned for quite uh, for quite young um, young kids. So um, I chatted through the the one that um, that Spark sent over that my son uses, which is very very locked down in terms of from his perspective, he can receive a call or a text from you know myself or my wife. He can tell the time on it. He's right. got a step counter, but there's not much else, so he's not going to sit there sort of looking looking at it all day or anything. Uh, and he's got a predefined list of messages that he can he can send back. So it's very very simple right. from our perspective. Um, we can, you know, we can also sort of see, you know, see where he is because it's got a, you know, a GPS ah, um, right. type, you know, type capability in it. But um, the main benefit is if he, you know, goes to, you know, to a, a mate's place nearby, um, and we've said, hey, be home by five o'clock. He's right. wearing something, and uh, right. you know, and then you can ping he, him. He, he, like the old pages. He, he knows when he needs. He knows when he needs <laughs> to be home, and, and he's and he's very good with yeah. it, right? So the smart functionality from his perspective, and and most of the time doesn't really make too much of a difference. But it is nice knowing, uh, you know, hey, if I, if we do need to get hold of him, we we can, and so yeah. on. Um, the 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 location tracking is. Is probably you know more more of a gimmick than than something that you know we really need. I think you know we we maybe feel and 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 the stats maybe you know back it up that society's not as, as safe it was you know when when um, when we were kids. But uh, you know speaking for myself here, but 
you know, re- realistically, I think it's it's we're still in a pretty safe country in those regards, and we don't need to yeah, but one you know, the spend safest, spend, spend too much time yeah. worrying about these but things. But I guess another you know, in other parts of the world, this mm. this technology could be um, uh, you know could could be important. Mm. But the the idea of banning phones in schools, I guess, speaks to that uh, probably a, a slightly older age group that is. Um, you know, they're old enough to, to have a full-blown smartphone. Not yep. not saying that parents that, uh, might not choose to give smartphones to, um, you know, children of, of my son's age, but probably, you know, not, not so common. Um, mm-hmm. But as they get older, of course, the smartphone adoption, uh, you know, gets uh, increases, uh, mm. but also it, it, it brings with it some challenges, I suppose, and, and hence why the schools are... Yeah, right. and, and I don't know if banning's the right thing. I mean, I can see why um, large organisations go for it, because a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed in the digital world. Yeah. But, um, I guess for me it's not really a phone it's your internet device and it's so it's the most powerful thing in your pocket as well as the most dangerous and i guess for me it'd be less about abstinence but teaching people control over it like if you can learn to control your impulses then you have access to all the information in the world and if you can't then it controls you when you habitually um, have to check it so i think the wiser thing would be to try and teach kids how to control their behavior while still being connected to the internet whether the education system can do that, teach that wisdom or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's just something we have to, as a society, come to grips with because it's not going away, the internet. And it shouldn't no, because it's no. powerful. But we as humans need to be better to work out how to interact with it and how to control it, I think. So, yeah, so I'd go with – if it was up to me, I wouldn't ban it. I'd start mm. teaching people how to use it responsibly. Mm. Mm. It's um – to, to me, it it, it, it has a, a sort of parallel with um, European education systems. Bear with me for this story. European education systems coming into you know countries with an indigenous population, and then those who are indigenous struggling within that education system. And when I've looked at that, I've always thought, well, the parents didn't grow up with that education system. So naturally that child will be, you know, at some sort of a disadvantage because it's it's not going to be the norm in their home. Right. And I, I see there's a, there's an element of that in our in our homes with parents around right. technology where the children often know more about the technology than their parents do. Right. And you know, my son comes home from from school and he's saying, "Can I have a VPN?" And right. I'm thinking, <laughs> where on earth is it? You know, is he right. getting is he getting this from? Um, but there are there are you know children within his class where um, the parent it appears ta- you know takes no interest in in you know their their what the child does on their device. So right. yeah, they've got complete unfettered access to install whatever, do whatever, and look at whatever, and 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 so on. And that's fine if they're you know if they're taught a, a, appropriately. Um, but the, but it's it, it appears certainly in, in some cases this is coming from a parent just doesn't have any idea right. about you know how yeah. all this stuff fits together. So it's not that they're that they're saying hey yeah it's good you go and search for whatever and and do do, do what you like. They, they just don't you know don't know. And so right. if a kid's installing a VPN to bypass sort of maybe the school's uh, safety mechanisms and so on, they wouldn't uh, uh, they wouldn't you know know how that. Uh, how that right. fits together. So we, we do have some 
uh, some challenges there, right? According yeah. to just just how uh, tech capable, I guess, the families are that surround right. our, our yeah. Youngsters. I mean, you make a valid point. I mean, it's it's easy for me to preach wisdom when I'm a technology person, <laughs> yeah. and but it's much harder for and and I guess even a lot of the time, even technology people are still forming their views about this new thing. Then it's then hard to go. Well, where's the safety bit, or where's the damage to the kid's psychology bit? Mm. But it's. If they do ban it, hopefully it's a short-term thing for safety while they work out then, you know, how to live with it because it's not uh, it's not going away. Mm. You know, the internet mm. is with us forever now and the best thing is to, you know, learn how to coexist with it in my view. But Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, I th- yeah. I think uh, I think that make, makes a lot of sense. Um but you know we're going to see experimentation. We're going to see different things yeah. happen in, in different parts of the world. And yeah, I mean it's it's fair to yeah. say you know gadgets become very addictive for some people. Uh, and you look in different countries. And I mean New Zealand right now, we you know we're wrestling with well, you know what what structure should be there should there mm-hmm. be uh, around drugs uh, in New right. Zealand? And, and there's a lot of debate going on around that. And I don't see that we've you know, there's a clear consensus. It seems like there's probably, you know, roughly half of people saying, well, we should take this approach and maybe half saying, oh, no, I've got the opposing, right. you know, the opposing view on that. So it's actually quite hard to, yeah. to land on something. And whatever you land on, you're going to end up with a, with a group that, that are going to disagree right. with it. So. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's true. And especially as it's emerging tech, uh, when there are emerging things, there's no right or wrong answers, right? There's just opinions because you don't actually know because yeah. no yeah. one's done it. And yeah. We don't know how it changes the psyche. So, yeah, yeah it's... Unfortunately, that's the world we live in, right? Yeah, <laughs> it changes yeah. at an increasing speed, and hopefully, we can change with it. But yeah, yeah. Um, there was a, a story around a um, Sydney IT consultant who got jailed for insider trading. Where I don't think we'll we'll dive into that one if, if people are kind of um, curious. But we're um, I want to keep moving through some of the other um, some of the other topics. Um, one thing that did catch my eye and um, ended up delving a little bit on this on the AM show um, yesterday was that China um, has been installing spyware onto some um, tourist phones. Uh, now, this is for um, particularly, I think, it, it maybe one or two uh, entry points to the um, Xinjiang um, region of China, um, okay. where, where there's been you know there's there's been some some trouble, shall we shall we say, without delving into all the um, challenges and politics and 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 so on. But you know there've been major issues there over you know for over over a decade, um, and it's around the tenth anniversary of when um, um, there were there were deaths of about two hundred people. So. From the perspective of China, they're obviously trying to you know control things, and and you know keep keep their people under un, under uh, under uh, under wraps. Right. Um, my understanding is that about two years ago, they forced the population to actually install spyware onto their devices. Now I don't know, I don't know how you can, I don't know how you control that and make sure. It, Stays right. there and and everything else that people don't change their devices, but I you know I guess if you've got a mechanism that's that's geared up to do that, uh, yep. if somebody drops off, then you you know you, you send the local official round and um, you know, yeah you get them I to, mean, to, to reinstall it or, or something. I mean yeah. it's 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 
it's really hard to get your head around these sorts of things when you live in a place like New Zealand. Now, yeah. my understanding of the spy we're going on to tourist phones, what I've read so far suggests that was possibly um, accidental and that the, the intent was to take the phone of the tourist, install some software, basically copy all of the person's data, uh, and then remove the software, but in some cases they left it behind, thus revealing what they were doing. But apparently, taking uh, people's phones, in some cases, you know, the person has to wait around for an hour while their phone is copied, analysed, or whatever. Be it a, a iOS device or an Android device, not sure what uh, exactly what tools they would have put in place um, on the iOS side. Um, but you know, it's. Um, Sort of a little, a little bit mind bending hearing this, but then I remembered that. Hold on, about nine months ago in New Zealand, we enacted um, uh, a rule in, in terms of if you're coming into if you're coming into New Zealand, and the customs agent sort of thinks that there might be some reason that they need to look at your device, then they can demand your device and demand your passwords or PIN, right. and effectively pot- potentially do. Um, a similar type okay, of thing. Just manually. And going well, to you the, don't know what they do, oh, right? right? They take it away to a back room and right. they, whether they copy your, your stuff or Yeah, and, and going into you. the US these days, they ask for your, Facebook, uh, your social media profiles. I guess, you know, there's, there's a mixed because there's the two reactions of, you know, there's a long list of things the Chinese government does that I don't agree with. <laughs> and this is probably on the minor side of it. But I also believe that when you go to someone else's house, you're bound by their rules. So yes, there's, yeah, there's yeah. things I don't agree with in the government, but if you're sure. going to go into that area, this is probably the lesser of things I disagree with <laughs> yeah. that I've heard about. Yeah, and, but but yeah. you're right, as, a, as people who live in a free country with privacy expectations, this is breaches all of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as I think back on it, it didn't get a whole lot of coverage when it, yeah. when it came in. And... Yeah. The concern probably isn't the the current government that we have to to any degree, but it's you put something like that in, and then you know the wrong sort of you know I guess yeah. an extreme government, be it extreme left, extreme right, yeah. whatever, um, some some extreme in some some direction or another yeah. um, comes into play, and then yeah, you know uh, m- mis- misuses mean, this sort of thing. I think in Canada. If you don't hand over your password and so on, they can lock you up for five years for you know for just a, a obstructing the uh, you know the the border right. police doing doing their job. Yeah, and I mean, there's always that debate between you know freedom and privacy versus uh, the duty of care of safety. Mm. You know, and I must say, I mean, to me sadly, but I changed my views on that actually after Christchurch. You know, yeah. it's that yeah. even though I live in a free country, I believe our government has a duty. Of care, and and so I came kind of the other way a bit. I used to, I was I'm traditionally very liberal and very much on the freedom and privacy side. Yeah. But you know, if you live in a country like New Zealand, I think also sometimes safety overrides those. And so I can see that there's again, it's one of those things without a right answer. And yeah, luckily we live in a part of the world where we can debate these things. And that, that's true. We f- freely, and um, we're we're not going to disappear tomorrow. That's right. Touch, touch wood, touch as they say. Uh, uh, if this is the last podcast you hear, um, obviously something's uh, ch- changed up somewhere in this country um, or further afield. Um, yes. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I just I just find it's important that we, 
we talk about this stuff anyway and, and, and bring it to light that people are aware. I think it's also important to realise, even though this is happening in a, in a very specific location at the moment, is that we keep watching it and we, you know, we're aware. Because if this starts increasing, whether it be China or, or other you know, areas, then yep. that, that could, you know, the consequences of it could be, um, you know, yeah. could, could, oh, could, think- could, could become, you know, much more concerning than, um, than, than what they are with this sort of, you know, specific case at, at the moment. And I'm not, not saying that what's going on in the, um, uh, Xinjiang, um, you know, region isn't concerning because there, there are things about it, you know, from a human rights perspective and so on, based on, certainly based on the Western reporting that, that we get. That suggests that you know there's a lot of bad stuff going on there, but uh, I'm sure there will be other people you know th- that would would be absolutely convinced that this is what's necessary um, to to keep the peace and so on within that mm. area. Oh, and I think that um, debates like this will actually increase because as the world gets more global, it feels like people need to really think about what it means to be a country and what border control actually means. And I think you know the internet is becoming more part of our lives and so we are becoming more global and so debates like this I think will become more frequent mm, mm. Um, A couple of other um, headlines that caught my attention um, Libra which you know of course is the um, blockchain uh, currency or crypto um, currency that Facebook are, are behind is that the US uh, Congress apparently have been um, Pushing them and um, a suggestion that they should be pausing development, right? Uh, which is is rather fascinating, yep. although in some ways not too too unexpected. As you know, it looked like um, the role that Libra would play in the US was was maybe quite different to to what uh, you know what it might be in other parts of the the world and you know of course we know um, you know governments do like to have quite a lot of control over uh, monetary systems and the uh, and the like uh, right. because they like to they like to be able to take a take a slice of these things if if, if nothing else <laughs> um, but I you That's know right. I just I thought that was yeah. uh, oh, was rather well, interesting I, I did read. Um in the white paper for Libra, that one of their aims is to be as compliant as possible with countries and yeah, stuff. So I suspect yeah. they semi-expected this, um, mm. and they'll get over it quite quickly. Mm. Um, mm. And I, I must say, it's, it's not a dig, but I did watch the uh, a lot of the Congress interviews with Mark Zuckerberg, and I just don't know if Congress are the right people that are equipped to uh, yes, prove yeah. into these things. Yeah, 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 fair, <laughs> so fair, fair I, point. I kind of think that they expected it, and I kind of think they'll get past this hump pretty quick yeah yeah um whether that's a good thing or not i don't know <laughs> i do think libra is the first real shot at global corporate money um i think they have a real shot at that mm, mm, mm. well especially with the varying uh, varying players they've got on board although you know um i did read something suggesting that that you know despite the the interest from uh you know visa and mastercard and a bunch of other players the banks aren't particularly interested uh, and getting involved at, at at this point in time, so we okay. we will see that that may well uh, that may well uh, change over the next uh, next little while. Um, another thing that I came across um, was details saying the U.S. Army has released its first uh, audio books. 
which is is very pleasing to me. I, you know, I see audio books very much crossing over into the same space as podcasts. It's you know, it's it's you know the content you want to consume when you when you want to consume it. And I mean, this just makes so much sense to me, and it's it's almost you know nuts that uh, um, you know an organisation with the scale and the budget of uh, the the US Army, you know wasn't educating their, their people, um, you know, using on-demand audio uh, prior. I mean, I don't know, maybe they have had some uh, podcasts, but they've been, you know, putting um, operations uh, uh, manuals and, and so on together. Um, what have they got? Their training and doctrine commands, combined arms doctrine directorate. Sounds really dry, actually. I don't know how that would go as an, as an audio book, unless you maybe you know dramatised it and a- added sort of some you know some live uh, fighting sort of sounds and other bits and pieces in in there to really uh, you know hold your audience. But uh, right. yeah, I guess big organisations are the source to change, right? So, and it's and I can you know audio books and podcasts are a very good way to absorb information these days. So good on them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, one that we missed over the last last week or week or two, um, there've been some quite big incidences of um, or pub- public ones because most often we don't hear uh, about these uh, things of uh, ransomware hitting uh, hitting organisations, and um, Florida was uh, was one of the areas uh, that got uh, got hit. Um, the Lake City uh, in in Florida. Um, actually, I'm supposed to be in Florida next uh, next month, um, but I don't know exactly where uh, where Lake Lake City um, is there. Um, but they're apparently the second town in Florida uh, to have paid over half a million US dollars. Uh, in Bitcoin and ransom to get their uh, they need to, to stop paying they shouldn't have been first back. <laughs> it's uh, it, I mean just it just encourages it doesn't it, it just when encourages you, when, it when, when you jump yeah. on board but I think uh, also it's a reflection of the the reality of how difficult it can be for an organisation that gets hit and yeah depending on the you know the complexity and all sorts of other things um some organizations will absolutely choose to go down that go down that track and i you know i had quite an interesting uh series of of conversations with people around this over the over the last um uh last you know few months around people choosing to and not choosing to and why or or why why not um uh, because often it can you know it might end up costing uh Costing more to do it without paying the ransom, but of course you pay the ransom, you're really inviting them and anyone else back to have another go at you because they know that you're somebody that pays, right? So, yeah. um, you know, not not that these organisations aren't going to be throwing, you know, probably huge amounts of money also at improving their their, their cyber security and mm. you know backups and you know every other uh, such such uh, thing from a bus- you know business continuity etc. Uh, perspective so they wouldn't have to pay again but certainly there will be uh, there'll be a, a window of time which sometimes may not close where they might well pay uh, pay again and I think ransomware is probably just more public I think pre ransomware with Bitcoin 
the hackers would have just stole all your credit cards and sold it in the black market, so you might not have even known about it. Yeah. Where now it's public, it's in your face, it's newsworthy. And I, I mean, yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but I guess it really is. All the computers in the world are connected together now, and there are bad people in the world. So cybersecurity is quite important and increasingly important. Yeah. I guess. Which, yeah. Well, um, actually, the, the, the EU are making it very, uh, very clear how important it is to people. Um, British Airways have been uh, slapped with a massive fine. I think it equates to about $345 million, uh, New Zealand dollars uh, for the breach that they had um, last year, which, was, to be fair, was a bit of a shocker. Um, but that sounds I think, like a lot. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's a it's a huge fine. I think there were about three hundred and forty. Uh, was it off? Oh, um, Five hundred thousand customers' um, data was was harvested in in some form, and I think they they put some possibly put some form of redirection in place, or they you know they embedded something. Um, haven't delved into the all the nitty gritty of it, but you know basically they were capturing some of the British Airways uh, traffic, is my understanding. So they were getting people maybe logging into their environment or something that they they had infected, and they ended up with credit card numbers and all sorts, which right. sounds. You know that's very un- that's very unusual in this day and age to be getting people's usernames and passwords and right. you know um, full full credit card numbers, including the sort of three digit CVV codes. Right. Um, so that's quite you, you know really quite on the on the on the extreme. <laughs> yeah. um, that that said, um, you know possibly this was a, a somewhat you know unique attack, and that they they just got hit in a way that. You know, they went after a big target. They managed to do it. Probably right. not something that um, you know is, is hugely wide, widespread before. And um, the well, the the EU have sort of you know have um, uh, find them. I think under uh, under their their GDPR um, legislation. So, but when you equate that, uh, even with the half a million um, number of customers uh, potentially hit. Um, yeah, you're heading in the direction of I don't know seven hundred, you know, dollars per head in terms of the fine, and that doesn't go back right. to the customers. Uh, right. You know, that goes back to uh, that goes back to the EU. So yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a sort of strange it sounds scenario. Like a lot, doesn't it? I don't know. I guess it's that thing where it does sound like a lot, but also with large companies with large revenue streams. Unless the fine is that much, it's just negligible. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, maybe it's trying to fix something with a sledgehammer, but maybe it's needed. <laughs> or or maybe uh, it's uh, to try and encourage uh, Britain a lot, you know, down with their Brexit track of, uh, <laughs> you know, get it done because we're going right. to find ways to, to find British entities. And, yeah. Uh, well, it's definitely a wake-up call for other big companies to make sure they have spent enough time on cybersecurity if you can be fine that much. Yes, yeah, but. yeah, it's, it's huge, isn't it? Um, yeah. Now, on the New Zealand uh, front, we should mention uh, that last week the um, the National Cybersecurity um, Policy was, uh, was released. So uh, that one is available online, uh, I think it's at this um, search site, 
Um, so those that are those that are interested in uh, in having a look, and there is a lot online in terms of um, uh, you know cybersecurity material as far as New Zealand's concerned, including um, um, some government sort of you know standards, which is. I think last time I looked at it, it was it was two volumes of about seven hundred and fifty pages uh, each. So uh, yeah, not I mean reasonably easy reading, but then there's a lot a lot a lot of pages. So it's not all you know packed in too tightly. Yeah. Uh, but that is a lot a lot to that get is a through. Lot. So, and I suspect uh, it's very deep technical <laughs> stuff as well. <laughs> I think a lot a lot of it wasn't you know wasn't too uh, wasn't too over the top. Now um, right. before before we. Um, um, Jump into to getting a you know some more insights on on Serato. Um, there were there are just two things on the sports streaming front, and we've been talking a lot about this. I mean, streaming generally in terms of you know as a, as a, as you know the change to our entertainment, and you know in in the early days of this podcast, it was more discussing well, how do you get Netflix in New Zealand, and what are the mechanisms and the hoops you have to jump through to get it. Now we you know can subscribe to Netflix locally, and it, you know it's a, it's a whole lot easier. Um, and we're we, we're seeing uh, you know Sky and uh, and Spark um, you know competing on the on the sport front. So a couple of things that jumped out. One was Sky. A, a week or, or so back, um, shared that they're dropping the idea of having this sort of you know puck device, a, you know a small simple um, set top uh, box option that they were they were looking at for uh, for streaming, which is is interesting because what I I guess why I felt we needed this sort of thing, and I was uh, encouraging Spark Sport down this track at one point. Was that these these um, you know small little tiny set top box puck type things are very low cost. You can just walk into a retailer, grab it, plug it into your TV, and you know in a way and away you go. So very very easy, regardless of whether you've got a smart TV or a dumb TV and so on. They're just a very easy way to get up and running. And I've seen stats out of the the US. Uh, that talk about Roku, which is the main seller of of, of these uh, devices, so a massive market share there, uh, and it was just showing how much content is uh, is streamed through those devices compared uh, to the the others, and just how much market share uh, Roku have. In fact, Roku have their um, you know, not a, they're available in that sort of little puck, but also now you can get them bed, embedded into TV. So you know, a whole lot of TV right. manufacturers are just are throwing that in because it's a very low cost way of of making a smart TV. Uh, because you can buy these pucks at around thirty US dollars or you know around fifty right. Kiwi dollars. So it's not something that that's going to push up the price of of a TV much. You know, and in fact, you know, at, at that price, it's. Um, you know, um, it's a surprise why anyone would need to buy a non non smart TV if it only pushes up the price by fifty dollars. Right. Um, but yeah, they've they've chosen chosen not to, which is um, yeah, but it's it, right. it's an interesting play. But it, I guess it's based on where they where they yeah. see things are heading. Well, I guess everyone's got a phone or a computer or a smart TV or something is what the theory would be. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, and I imagine they're also looking at who's got their who's got their traditional um, Sky boxes, right. and for people that have got one of those and are, and are happy or are going to continue, you know, paying for that, then they they probably don't want to they don't want to lose that customer 
to something else. So there's a level right. of well, if we make it, you know, we make it too easy, then um, you know, and and there's a whole lot of discussion we could go into on that. So I think we'll ha- we'll have to have Skype back on the show again um, and and hear a little bit more. Um, I did catch up with Spark Sport yesterday and. Um, they shared uh, probably um, yeah, a, fair, a, fair, a fair bit of detail over about an hour or so. I've thrown lots of different questions at them. Um, lots, lots of interesting uh, things. So I guess one of the big things to come out of it is that, and this was probably somewhat obvious to, to most, but that they're using um, the Rugby World Cup, which no doubt they've, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of money on when you add up buying the rights and you know, getting everything right. uh, launched and, and working for it. Their their main thing there is really just to draw customers to try out their platform and then, you know, after the Rugby World Cup, they're really hoping to pull people into whatever, you know, ongoing uh, right. things that things that they have, um, which, which, you know, makes sense. And that was... That was um, certainly, in my thinking, the other thing they um, were asked about was what sort of capacity are they designing for? With how many people, um, you know, how many people would they be think that they would be able to cope with uh, streaming the Rugby World Cup at once? Right. And of course, they've the deal they've ended up cutting with TVNZ is that people will be able to go and watch the the final of the Rugby World Cup uh, for free anyway on on free to air TV, which is is um, well, it certainly takes a lot of pressure off them in terms of how well they have to perform because everyone can just can just get it uh, can get it live and and for free in any case. Um, but they said their their design goal would be to be able to cope with uh, five hundred thousand um, active streams of that same content at at the same time. Right, that's a lot. I think that's <laughs> that uh, right. that, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. So if that's yeah. what they're designing against. And it sounds like they've been engaging really heavily. They've been learning from lessons of right. Australia and other places where this stuff hasn't gone so well. Uh, and they seem they're sounding very very confident. Um, then you know I'm 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 not as worried as I was sort of a month or two back when it you know it was all seeming a little bit shaky for uh, Spark getting into the uh, into the the, the sports stuff. Um, you know, it, it look, look, looks as though a lot of their thinking is uh, is good. One, probably one of the surprises was that they maybe haven't. They didn't appear to have quite got their head around how much resource they're going to need to um, put on in terms of people to give you know telephone support and you know right. who, who's going to help when you know when those games hit. I'm not sure. You know, right. and, and well, maybe, maybe it's just they. The, you know that. At the top, they don't exactly know the the, the structure for that, but we, we chatted yep. to Jeff Jeff Latch and uh, um, and another member of his team. Of course, Jeff's been on on the podcast here um, earlier on in the year, um, but yeah, they they seem to be you know have very well thought out um, you know how their streaming is going to work, and they've engaged very closely with internet providers uh, from a retail perspective, also with Chorus. And and with the local fibre companies and even 
uh, in rural areas with those that provide Wi-Fi and so on. So there's there's a huge amount of activity, um, you know, going on because I think everybody seems to want this this thing to work. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know Spark want to sell this product. It's you know I think I think all the all the industry players. Um, you know, they they don't want to be stuck with upset customers because right. they haven't delivered it right. Yeah. And it's probably um, so hard, quite a hard thing to get right, right? Because you don't actually know how many people log in at once and you can overshoot and spend a lot of money or you can undershoot and it can be a disaster. So yes, yeah. Sounds like yeah. there's a lot of work going into it. Yeah. So um, anyway, my conf- my confidence level after after that session is, is up. Cool. Um, but in, in reality, because... So much of the content will be available on on you know on T, TVNZ sort of you know free to air, um, right. and where they delay it, they're only delaying it an hour, so it's not you know it's not a million miles behind. Right. Um, so it, it won't be maybe you know as bad as it could have been if they do have some glitches along the way. Right. So um, yeah, time will tell. We exactly, exactly. I, I mean, I was asked in an interview what um, I don't know, maybe a couple of months back, how where my confidence level was, and it's like, well, um, maybe sixty forty whether it's going right. to work or not. But, but you sound like you're seeing more evidence that it'll be handled properly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and and it's and I guess it's that thing of of seeing all of the all of the bits and pieces start to line up, and you know, having tried it on a smart TV. Um, somebody did unofficially tell me that their app is coming to Apple TV this week. Um, I'm not sure whether that will be quite this week or, or not, because when I asked Spark Sport about it, they, they said it's imminent um, or something along those lines. So, uh, yeah, so for those who are, you know, wanting an experience that doesn't in- include sort of, you know, pushing it wirelessly from your phone uh, to your TV, then that's likely to be a pretty good experience, especially with the Apple TV, which you can plug an Ethernet cable into as well. Cool. All right, so... Um, Serato, your your new product. That's uh, you know, I guess that you know you you've had your uh, you know background with the DJ products and so on. But um, it was the the new product that we heard from uh, from your um, your team about Serato Studio. Sorry, studio. Yes. So so what is this new uh, new technology yeah. and what does it what does it mean for um, Serato as a business? Because you're already you know as you said earlier you know quite a you know, quite a big um, entity, 140 staff here in New Zealand. Of what, what percentage of that is software developers? You've got quite a big software yeah, development probably, team. Yeah, um, probably, I'm going to make up numbers now, but maybe <laughs> 60% would be the development team. Yeah. And then the rest yeah. is you know, marketing, support, admin. So we have quite a big support team as well because that's one yeah. of the things we're known for. Um, so Studio uh, came out of us looking at our customers, actually. So we, um, you know, we've got the most used DJ software in the world, and um, it was we we're looking at what customers want and what the journey is. Um, after you've DJed for a bit, you go, "What's next?" And of course, it's I want to make beats or I want to make music. Um, and the step up from DJing to the traditional music production apps is just too big. Mm-hmm. It's, it's massive, and a lot of people want to take it, but the steps too large um, and so we're thinking that you know it's the information age people shouldn't have to read manuals to be able to use things so we're basically trying to remove the technicalities from music production so musicians creators DJs can go in and start making beats and making music straight away um, the the other analogy I quite, I quite like and it 
I always have to um, start with. I think it's a slightly bad analogy because Flash isn't around anymore. But in the early days of the internet, when Flash came, I saw from there because it took away the technicalities of uh, making things on the internet. Designers right. started using it, and suddenly yep. you saw these amazing creations because you removed the technicality. Right, and right. that's what we're aiming for with yep. Serato Studio. So it's uh, so you're music. not you're not going to be quite the the wicks of. Uh, because that's what we have now, right? right? Wix is the easy way to make. Yeah, uh, maybe not we, well, all the way as, there. Well, yeah. certainly we, we keep seeing their ads, so I'm, I'm presuming yep. I, I haven't actually <laughs> delved too too closely into uh, into their platform. But um, but it's making it accessible, but but also but also having the intricacies that are needed to make you know make good music. It's not just make cookie cutter yeah. rubbish, right? Yeah. So it's made for people who are wanting to make music production seriously. Yeah. So it's yeah. creative people. Talk. Creative people. Mm. But it's removing the what we call the technicalities mm. of it. Mm. You know, the mm. file system parts or the yep. uh, audio some of the audio engineering bits. So you can get to making sounds and shaping beats. Um, we it's super new. We launched about three weeks ago. So very new time will tell. We're uh, we're hoping slash we're fairly sure that there's a market there and it'll grow hopefully to be as big as Sorodi DJ. Yeah. So, what platforms are you on? How would you know? How do you how do you use yep. it? Do you need to be um, on a big screen device, or uh, this, this is sort of something you can do on your gadget? Yeah, um, laptops. So Windows and Mac. Um, yep. The same with DJ. We've just found um, that um, you know phones and other things are great for consuming, but yep. when you actually want to be productive, nothing beats a laptop. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also mixed with the fact that that's already our core market. You know, yeah. for, for startups and new products you, you kind of ask yourself three things which is can we make it of course we can can we access our customers and they're our customers you know mm, that mm. djs we have four hundred and fifty thousand monthly and 1.6 million a year that kind of go through our product yeah they all want to make music and yep. so if i can get i don't know one out of every 10 or 20 of them to use the studio then we have a product absolutely yeah and, and yeah. so what adds to that is we have if we support the same platform as sorry dj which is windows and mac yeah yeah okay and um your your model for doing that you you're very much a sort of software as a service um or a subscription yeah type, well, type, type scenario i suppose right yeah and that's what we're uh that's what we're going for um yeah. so we've traditionally been a product company and yes to me that means you make something great, and then you sell it. Yep, and so once. we're more moving towards a service company, which means you make something great, you sell it, but then you work out how to keep engaging your customer for the long term. Yep. And to me, uh, a service um, scenario is something that gives us the incentive to keep working on it and keep mm. building our community. And you know, we've just released 1.0 um, out in the wild. And for me, it's now we build the community and we build this product for them and we and that's essentially what they did with the early products. We grow with the community. Yeah. That's, so that's what we're going for, I think. And more and more, I think that's probably because we have a very um, eager and tight Toronto community out there and we'd love to support them. We'd love to grow bigger with them. Yeah, yeah. And how long have you spent developing Serato Studio. What does it look like to get from, you know, where, where you were with your DJ yep. products to now an entity that, you know, if it goes well, maybe you'll, you know, double in size over the over the years ahead. Yeah. What sort of you Yeah, know, well, and, I mean we we're kicking around ideas maybe three or four years ago. Mm. Um about three years ago we um 
built something smaller be- called Serato Sample, mm. which is actually a plugin that's made to use with the existing um, audio workstations, they call it. And that, yes. that let us go in, talk to professional producers, learn more about the system, mm. and that gave us the confident to then, confidence to say, then, actually, we should go for the big piece, which is uh, to make something that everyone can use. So we've been actively developing it for about two years. I think. Did so you, it's a did big you deliberately go down that as a track as a, just to get your feet wet in the longer process? Did you always yeah. have sort of mapped out that longer-term view that you would create your, your yeah. own? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the model that worked for us in DJ. So we mm. went in right at the top. Um, so the biggest success early on in Toronto DJ um, were these boxes that let uh, really professional DJs um, actually used two turntables and a mixer. Yes. And that was that was really well, um, that sold very well. And then we used that to move down the pyramid to more casual DJs, wedding mm. DJs, bar DJs. Right. And so we're kind of doing the same here where we went in with that to get into the market, talk to the high-end producers who are already in there, find out about the systems, and now we're moving to the mass market step mm. because the top of the pyramid are now minds is too hard for most people yeah, and so the yeah. mass market step is something that people can actually use and step yeah so so it was always our plan yeah oh so, that's cool yeah so, and, now, and now we've done the phase one now the we're basically in the phase where for the next year we're growing it with the community yeah well i think there's a pretty large percentage of the population that would love to be able to make you know make music and make you know good music themselves how much? What do you think is the sort of percentage of the population that actually has the, you know, has the creativity and the skills, skills, you know, to be able to right. use a use a tool like this and right. and 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 uh, you know turn something out that's um, you know that's reasonable. I guess yeah. that's all in the ear, well, ear of the beholder, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, um, potentially much bigger than everyone realizes. You know, yeah. I, I think we have a generation of people who've grown up playing traditional instruments. Yeah. Um, but if you look at um, popular music now and you've, you look at the Spotify Top 100 or the Billboard, nothing is made by instruments anymore. It's yeah. all produced. And so as these kids kind of grow up and they've learnt these instruments, they say, actually, I want to make music like the um, the pop stars that I know. And, that, and the pop stars use music production apps these days for 99% of it. So, I, mm. I, you know, I don't see a reason why in the future we couldn't grow to take a large percentage of uh, the current musician pool where people are, are using analog um, mm. instruments. Mm. And I think if we can remove the technicalities that are in the other ones so that people can come and understand it and use it, it could become quite a good uh, hobbyist Thing like just like musical yeah. instruments are for people at the moment. Yep, and and I think um, you know often the well-known artists they you know they didn't start as well-known artists. They started as you know hobbyists that were using yep. what was accessible to them at the time. Uh, yep. You know, in New Zealand, I, I remember in the back when I was doing World DJ, um, you know, I spent time with Concord Dawn, and uh, you know, they were they were using you know what in their day was considered a, a you know very much as a little sort of probably hobby end um, bit of software. Um, but as they went out and released their music around the world, you know, they, they gained, you know, a lot of acclaim within their particular niche of the drum and bass scene. Yeah. Um, and an old, uh, old friend of mine in, in the, in the UK, I, you know, visited him as a, um, as a teenager and he was just dabbling around, him and his sisters were dabbling around making, uh, making music, um, 
a couple of blocks from from where I was staying in in uh, London for a little while, and um, then um, two or three years later, uh, he mm. topped the UK, um, you know, yep. charts, and then um, yep. yeah, a few years later, his sister did as well, and and you know, this was you know all came about from him producing music in his yep. uh, you know and in it, his bedroom with the tools that he could afford and it can happen to anyone I mean the, yeah. the latest story of that, that and I just love this story because to me it's a story of the new generation is um, you know the number one hit that's been there for a long time now Old Town Road was a black kid who's sitting in his room probably played Red Dead Redemption a lot and then yeah. went hey I want to make country music so he found someone online to make the beats and then he sang over it and it charted online through all the social media things so that he went right up the Billboard country charts. Yeah, okay. Billboard then went, this ain't country, and took it off. So then he re-released it with Billy Ray Cyrus, right? And it's number one, number one. <laughs> so to me, that's some people in their bedrooms, have an idea, mix it up, get a following online because they can access it, and then they get to worldwide success. So the, I think the barrier to entry to do these things compared to a generation... So a generation ago, you needed a room full of audio equipment yeah. these days you need an idea you need to need to do it you want you need to want to do it and then you just need a laptop yeah. and i think that's one of the things I, I i think we love about the space we're in if we can help people actually work out how to play music share music make music just from their bedrooms or whatever to me it really democratizes access to music creation and sharing where in an old generation, you would never been able to get there. Hmm. So I, I love that story, and I yeah. you know, love to promote that more That's and more. Cool. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, well, all the best. Now, if anyone's listening in, and you know they're, they're they're wanting to jump on board and and try it out, or maybe someone in their family is interested, where where do they go to get the software, and right. what what does it cost in New Zealand to uh, to, to to subscribe right it's um so you can go to serato.com yeah. um we have a free trial that's 14 days uh it's 14.99 a month sorry that's probably us so it might be about us dollars, yeah. dollars um to be honest and i hope this doesn't end up with too many jumping in but if you're in new zealand just hit us up call us or email us we'll, we'll probably just hook you up with a license i think most of our market is overseas uh if you ask me personally i think people in their own town slash things should be able to use it. I think the goodwill it spreads is worth more than any money we'd make out of the country. Cool. That, that's pretty neat. Um, how, how do they get hold of you on that ba- on that basis if anyone's oh, uh, I'll, li- I'll give you an email address okay. we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put something up on, if you are interested, um, yep. go to uh, com and to, to this episode and um, we'll we'll work, work something out to um, to, to to give people uh, some some way of um, accessing that and and trying it out uh, locally. So I'm sure that will be a, a pretty limited offer. So um, get in touch sooner rather than yeah, rather than next later couple if days. You're interested I think. <laughs> in that one uh, before that spreads the net and uh, it's all over Reddit. Um, cool. All right. Well, cool. Um, it's been great great to have you on the show, and I really am looking forward to you know delving into really. The, the full Serato story and having you on the New Zealand Business Podcast, um, you know, over the over the next uh, next little little while, um, certainly, you know, I hope we can squeeze that in uh, this year and and really tell the full story because I'm sure there's um, you know there's lots of fascinating uh, lessons from from the story from you know all sorts of uh, pers- perspectives uh, the the ups and the and and the downs as, as these sort of journeys tend tend to be. 
Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Young. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll uh, we'll catch you again uh, next week for the next episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.